Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello there, guys, and welcome to another edition of the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Joe Holbert, and I'm joined once again to discuss some prospects by Jordan Self. Hello, Joe. How's it going? Very good, thank you. I'm very excited for this draft. Yeah, exciting times. It's, yeah, it's, uh, 76 is making moves already, so uh, getting everyone nice and excited before we even get there. Yeah, it's the first time for a while that there's been a big trade like that, and there could be more to come, according to Woj, because apparently the Suns and the Lakers are looking to make some moves as well, and Detroit are opening to trading out of the draft completely. So this pod, we're going to discuss the wings, and once again, we're going to go in order of my board. We're only going to discuss five purely because, as I said last time, there's so many prospects that you know we have to have a cut-off point. So we're going to start with actually my favourite prospect of these wings, uh, not just because he's highest on my big board, but I, I like watching him the most as well. So Jason Tatum, what... What kind of impact do you think he can have from day one? Uh, I think he's going to have a huge impact from day one. Uh, Jason Tatum's a guy I really like. He's something that I haven't really seen in a few years now. This is a guy that back in the kind of mid 2000s you would see coming through a lot, a lot that kind of ISO oriented small forward that could kind of potentially play a small ball four. Um, we we don't really see many of them now, and I, I think that the way it's moved with the kind of value of that three and D type player, most of the other small forwards we're going to talk about fit that kind of three and D mold where they can shoot the three, maybe don't can't create too much for themselves, but they're a good defensive player. Jason Tatum's more of your mid two thousands type guy. You're in that same kind of mold as your Carmelo Anthony's, your Danny Granger's, those kind of guys who can they can create their own shot, and I think. Day one impact, Jason Tatum's a guy, if you bring him into your team, he's going to put up double-figure scoring for you, no doubt. I would say you're kind of looking at that 16, 17-point range in his first year, potentially. I think he's that good of a scorer, a really nice, polished offensive game. Yeah, I've got to say, I think a lot of people, because of that 3 and D mentality now, are kind of sleeping on Jason Tatum. So Definitely. Sam, so Sam Vecchini, who I think is the best draft guy, he has him at number two on his big board. I've got him at number four. But what I like about him is the easiest way to change a team from rubbish into maybe something, you have to have guys who can create their own shot. If you go and, yeah. if you go and look at the 20 best players in the league, with the exception of maybe Draymond Green, they can all create their own shot. And that's yeah. what and- you need. And that's why I like this guy a lot. And you look, playoffs is the perfect example. I think regular season, people follow this trend now if they want to move that ball and they want to play that pretty basketball. But when it comes to playoff time, it does come down to more often than not, can you give it to a guy and he's going to go get you a bucket? And I think even in the NBA Finals, you've got one of the best teams of all time, the Golden State Warriors. When they really need a bucket, they're still giving that to Kevin Durant and saying, go get us a bucket. And I think Jason Tatum has the potential to be that type of guy for a team. And you see there's a lot of teams in that kind of range where I think they need that one player who can just put them over the edge and make them a winning team. And I think Jason Tatum, he's played on a really good team in college in Duke, uh, been really productive, nearly 17 points a game, seven rebounds, a couple of assists. That's probably his area where he needs to work on a little bit. Uh, I think some people like to criticise his, his vision. I think that... He, it's more that he hasn't been asked to facilitate so much. He's not really been put in that position yet. So the jury's still out on whether or not he can uh, facilitate for others. But just watching him play, I really think he does have a good feel for the game. Kind of in the ebbs and flows of the game, he shoots some pretty good shots. Again, he's a, a guy who can make tough shots, which often lends itself to taking bad shots too. But I think he's an all-round solid offensive player he's one of those guys that if you were to create an offensive player he's got a little bit of everything and i think his frame is the way you really start with he's a tall guy uh at six foot eight he's got quite a long wingspan i think that that will put him in a good position to 
again, create for himself, but also fit into that team atmosphere. He'll be able to switch on defence. I think there's a few concerns there uh, defensively, but he has that kind of frame that you look at him and go, he's a potential guy that if we can mould him into what we want him to be, he will be a great NBA player. But I I don't know, what do you think about defensively? Uh, Have you got any concerns there? Not if he plays at the three, but in the modern NBA, there obviously people are going to move him to a small ball four. Yeah, that's just yeah. A, that's just a given. Um, I don't have any concerns about him on the perimeter against stretch fours, but some teams still do have those old-fashioned uh, post players, people like Paul Millsap. I think he could struggle against them, but that's just a day one thing. I think if he gets moulded with a good coach, so you know, good landing spot would be Orlando because Frank Vogel can turn people, could turn okay defenders into great ones. Um, yeah. I think I think the potential's there. I, I don't think he's a sieve or anything like that. No, my, my, my concern with him defensively is more on the perimeter. I think he'll be fine on one-to-one coverage. But if you start to get him in pick and roll play, he's just, he hasn't quite got that physicality defensively. He seems to come at, come at the ball with a, a little bit of kind of lackadaisical nature. And I think sometimes that will put him in a tough position in the NBA when you've got some of those guys, your Draymond Green setting a moving pick, your Jonas Valanciunas, those kind of big guys setting picks on him, especially if he's going to be playing the four, uh, that would make it really difficult for him because I think if you get him in any kind of pick and roll action, if he's guarding one of the top threes in the league, I think he'll get uh, kind of shown out on those screens. He'll struggle to recover. So that could limit his playing time early on, depending on what coach he gets. You mentioned a Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel's going to absolutely hate that from day one. So that his offensive upside will have to counteract what he's doing on the defensive side I think from the beginning but I, I think he's got all the tools there that defensively he can be a great player he's a really nice athlete I think he's um, maybe not the most explosive athlete in the draft but he's a really good athlete nonetheless he moves his feet really well he's quite an agile player um, and I think that that's what you really look for now in an athlete it's not necessarily just that bounciness we know that a guy at six for eight he's going to be able to get up and put, um, put it down play above the rim but you're looking more for those kind of acute athletics again is he agile has he got that lateral quickness and he's got all of those physical bits that you look for um i think that that combined with the decent ball handling means that he will be able to create for himself even at the nba level um i i, I really like him is there anyone that you think in the current nba or past player that he, he really kind of matches up well to offensively reminds me a lot of Andrew Wiggins in the sense that I think the outside shot needs a lot of work but he could become a mid-range guy um the guy I think you mentioned here Danny Granger is probably my overall comparison Wiggins for offense but Granger all-round game size I'm Granger kind of fell out of the league which kind of worries me about that comparison but if you go back to Granger's prime he was a I mean, he was a bank for 20 points every single night and he really yeah. only got pushed out of that team because Paul George came through. So, yeah, I could certainly see him becoming that kind of player. But I just want to get your thoughts. So I've just spoken about mid-range and ISO and all that. Do you think in this era, which is all based on advanced stats and people want out such a do you think people undervalue these kind of old-fashioned mid-range ISO scorers? Uh, massively. I think it's... There's a limit to how many kind of 3 and D guys you can have on your team. And people, again, I always use the Warriors as an example because that's who everyone looks to now as the model in the NBA. They, yes, they are a great three-point shooting team. Yes, they are a great defensive team, but they still have playmakers. Fundamentally, you look at that team and it's full of high IQ guys. This year you had Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, David West, all guys who you put the ball in their hands and they're going to make a play for you, whether that's a pass, whether or not that's a a quick move to the basket, they make the right plays. And I think Jason Tatum's a guy that in that high post, you give him the ball 
And in that kind of Carmelo Anthony fashion, he can break down the defense, he can create mismatches, he can cause people to have to come over and help. And all of those things is going to create offense for you. So I look at that now and I think not every team is built to whip that ball around the perimeter, shoot threes and run in transition. A guy like Jason Tatum can make a huge difference for so many teams. And again, it's one of those things where I've heard a few people worry about Will he be a ball stopper? Will he be that kind of Carmelo Anthony, hold the ball for seven seconds, couple of jab steps and then make his move? But I think that's more down to coaching than it is the player. He's a guy who he looks like he wants to learn. He's referenced Paul George as his favourite player in the NBA. I think if he can come in with the same kind of work and attitude Paul George did in his first couple of years, you could see that same kind of escalation to that all-star calibre player. And I think if he's willing to play in a system and fit into that system... And they are willing to utilize his tools in, in, in thanks for him fitting into that system, then he will be a great value to almost any team in that kind of area. Um, I don't, don't necessarily know who, who will take him there. I think uh, I'm, my opinion is that he should fall no lower than the top three, really. Um, I think it'd be interesting if Boston keep that pick, whether or not they'll take him there. Uh, I don't know quite how he would fit in there, maybe as, a, again, a small ball four. Um, but I, yeah, I think I think any team will be lucky to have a player like him, regardless of the move towards the three-point shooting and the move away from the mid-range movement. Yeah, I'm with you. I think people undervalue those guys. I mean, we've got one on each of our teams. So Jordan's a Raptors fan, DeMar DeRozan. I'm a yeah. Timbers fan, Andrew Wiggins. And I don't think yeah. people say these guys are rubbish, but I think people underestimate how good they are. They say like, oh, they take low percentage shots. They take them because they make them. Yeah, it's not yeah. like it's not like they're out there just pulling up from nowhere and taking contest shots because they can make them. And I think people are undervaluing Tatum just because of that. Um, I... I think he's going to go to Boston purely because I don't see how Jackson helps them from day one. Whereas I think Tatum could be that second focal point on offense that yeah. I don't he, think they have now. No, he would have been a massive help for them this year in the playoffs. And I think we, we saw times when Isaiah Thomas was forced to give up that ball and the Celtics just didn't really have that secondary scorer. It, they, they, their only game they took from the Cavs was when Marcus Smart played absolutely out of his mind. And I think Jason Tatum could be that consistent second option from them from day one. Yeah, that's the thing. They didn't have that shot creator in the playoffs. They had all these 3 and D guys, but when it mattered and when it all slowed down and became half court, they couldn't really do a lot. I mean, Bradley, Avery Bradley can do stuff off the ball, but if you're dumping it off to Jay Crowder, he's either shooting or passing it on. So, yeah, I'm certainly in agreement with Tate. What is, I know you just said he won't, he shouldn't slip out of the top three, but what is the lowest you see him going? Because I don't see him getting past um, the Magic at six. I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting because when you really look at it, there there is that possibility that if he falls uh, a couple of spots down and he doesn't go in that kind of top three or four, he could start to really slip, to be honest, because I think there's a lot of guys in there who are going to be looking for guards. Um, I think you're Sacramento Kings. They'll be looking to take either someone like a Darren Fox or a Dennis Smith. And if he starts to slip past there, again, Orlando Magic, they've had a guy who's kind of a similar mould in Tobias Harris, whether or not they're wanting to go down that same kind of area again. Um, He could slip even further down, maybe to seven or eight. I think the Knicks is probably the lowest point I see him going down to. Um, But I, I think in reality, I think three or four is probably where he really belongs at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement on that. I, I personally prefer him to the next guy we're going to talk about, so that's how I'm going to smoothly transition into Josh Jackson. Very nice, yeah. <laughs> now, Josh Jackson, I believe, has some off-the-field concerns. Yeah, um, yeah. I think um, that, that's been one of the big talking points in the lead-up to the draft, I think. Uh, misdemeanor in terms of him, uh, apparently, w- w- was it... Um, 
not not assaulting but verbally abusing one of the uh, female sports stars at the university yeah he doesn't see, he doesn't seem like a like an upstanding guy off the court which is you know why a lot because this kind of went under the radar because you're an nfl fan aren't you yeah yeah so we we had all this stuff with joe mixon who um, yeah obviously jackson hasn't done anything as that but joe mixon's name was dragged through the mud and i didn't hear about this josh jackson thing until last week so that's kind of gone under the radar so do you think first of all do you think that'll put any teams off or not really do you know what i think if you look at some of the top players in the NBA today, there there have been a number of scandals, and by no means am I saying that we should just wipe that under the rug and totally ignore it. But uh, again, I think it's one of those cases where you have to look at it, and that is off the court and on the court at this point he's still a young guy and you don't want something like that to hold his career back uh, and I don't think it would be fair to him at this point he's, he's made a mistake and it's more on him how he acts from here and I think uh, if you look at one of the big selling points for him is and I've heard a few of the uh, different executives around the league talk about his mentality is what is going to make him a difference maker. And I think he has that Draymond DNA within him. He's a fiery guy and he plays with a lot of passion. And that is what makes him appealing to me. I think, again, he's, he's got some great physicality. He's got some great uh, skills as an offensive NBA player and a potential great two-way player. Um, but really, the thing that separates him, he, he has that those hustle plays. He's got that real heart, that real passion. I think any team that has him, that's probably what they're taking him for. So I don't think that the off-the-court stuff would impact too severely on him. No, you're right. I don't think NBA teams, unfortunately, look at stuff like that too much. No. The word the word I used to describe him, you just use some synonyms for it, is intensity. And it amazes yeah. me that him and Andrew Wiggins are getting compared because <laughs> as, as someone who watches him and says, Andrew Wiggins is anything but intense. You know, you kind of see his yeah. mentality. He's just kind of float... He he kind of floats through the game, whereas Jackson, yeah. not the case at all. I'm not saying Wiggers nice. are the tribe. They're such different players, which is why I don't like. I think people only compare them because of the college they went to. But yeah. who's your pro com for Josh Jackson? Well, it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because I think um, if you look at the, the type of guys that he has somewhat of a similar play style to, you mentioned Wiggins, and I, I can see the Wiggins factor there. And I think... Um, Another one that uh, a lot of people would totally balk at because I'm sure they'd think, surely we're not going to draft a guy in the top three compared to Terrence Ross. But his play style somewhat reminds me of Terrence Ross. But again, with that level of intensity that Terrence Ross didn't show. And I think any any other Toronto Raptors fans will know that Terrence Ross has flashed absolutely like brilliance at times he had a 51 point game a few years back he's had multiple times where he's gone through stretches of looking like a really effective player um, and again both defensively and offensively he doesn't have the same physical physicality and same size that Josh Jackson does and he just doesn't have that intensity but I think from a play style perspective if someone's wondering what to expect from a, a purely from how he how he's dribbling the ball he's got quite an upright stance um, he, again the way he attacks the rim he's uh, and the way he kind of pulls up off the dribble is it's got that kind of Terrence Ross, Ross style but from a overall standpoint I think it's interesting a few people mentioned Andre Iguodala I think that's closer to that level of um, again that level of IQ and that level of intensity that Andre Iguodala brings to every single game especially in his 76ers days um, I think that's probably a closer comparison to what I see Josh Jackson working out to in the NBA so offensively this isn't a guy with a great jump shot I wouldn't call it a broken jump shot it's nothing like Michael Kidd Gilchrist who as yeah. far as I'm concerned his jump shot is absolutely shot to pieces but do you think that that lack of shooting is going to maybe force him to take lower percentage shots? I mean, do you think he can thrive inside to make up for his lack of shooting from day one? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because if you 
look at his inside game. I don't think he has the most varied game in the world, but he does attack with such aggression and and he really drives hard into the rim. And I think that 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 he'll be able to get a lot of points from that. And I think he's a smart enough player that I think he will figure it out. Um, his shooting, wise you mentioned again, he's a guy where a lot of people look at it and they'll go, oh, 38% three-point shooter in college. That, that means he's great. The real telling sign for college players isn't their three-point shooting. That's not something that historically is translated to show great NBA, great three-point shooters in the NBA. The statistic we should really be looking at is the free-throw shooting. And if you look at Josh Jackson, he's shooting 56.6% on free-throws. And that is something that raises a concern to me because that's when you start to look at his mechanics. The ball comes kind of out the right side of his hand. He often shoots on the way down. And you mentioned it's, it's definitely not a broken jump shot, but his his mechanics are not that of a pure shooter. And I think that could cause him issues, particularly off the dribble. Uh, he, he could find his way as a kind of decent spot-up shooter. But um, again, you, you see shades of Justice Winslow there as well, a guy who uh, was really kind of highly touted coming in, but just kind of concerns about the all-round nature of it. But I, th- I think offensively, he's a higher level than Justice Winslow. He's got a really quick first step. Uh, he changes pace really nicely. He's, he's again, a guy that talked about the ebbs and flows of the game. He's got a really high IQ um, and he, he finds a way to score. And I'm, I'm sure regardless of that shooting he will find a way to score in the NBA um, but maybe just not as that kind of first option that you'd be looking for as for a top three pick yeah that's the thing that's why I don't like um, mock people who um, well I've mocked him to the Lakers but that's because what that's what I think will happen but if I was in charge of the Lakers I don't know if he'd be on my board because I, I still think they're looking for that first guy and whether they're going to go into free agency for it next year for, for someone like Paul George or even this year for someone like Paul Millsap I don't think he yeah. can be that guy. I think what he's going to be, I love the Iguodala comparison because I think he's going to be a guy who eventually he can produce. He's not like a guy. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to pick on Michael Kidd-Gilchrist here, but Michael Kidd-Gilchrist on offense is basically like having four players. Whereas I don't, I don't think Jackson is going to be like that. No, but I, I think he can defend one through four with development. He may even be able to defend the five situationally on switches and stuff like that. But what's what's this guy's floor, would you say? So obviously ceiling, I'm looking at maybe Iguodala, potentially someone a little bit better. What would you say this guy's floor is? I think it's tough because uh, I think, again, you look at players like him and if he can sort out that shooting, I think he does have that mindset that he will no matter what, be able to contribute to a team. I think he'll find ways to make plays. And I've compared him to Terence Ross, and we talked about Wiggins, and I think the comparison there is purely from, again, style of play to ascent, and he's got that same kind of bouncy athleticism they do. I think if anyone is wondering what to expect from Josh Jackson, watch some of Andrew Wiggins and Terence Ross's dunks, and you'll be expecting some similar stuff from Josh Jackson. But I, yeah, I just, I think from a floor perspective, uh, Terence Ross would be a bit too too harsh for floor, really. But I think a, a guy that can come in off the bench and and uh, make some plays, a kind of an Andre Iguodala role he's taken later in his career, you could see that being Josh Jackson's role kind of earlier in his career if he can't figure out how to be consistent offensively and how to, uh, to put the ball in the bucket from outside. So I think um, from a floor side, I think he looks like a solid starter. Um, I think most teams would be happy to have a guy that can defend like him on one end and still has that potential to have that real offensive versatility and all-round game if he can just sort that shooting out. And I think if he's a worker, if he's a real worker, and again, that's something that he's shown flashes of, but again, the attitude is always one of those things where it's a bit up in the air. If he's a worker, he does have that kind of Kawhi potential. And I think it's a perfect storm for Kawhi Leonard to become what he became. But Josh Jackson does have that that glimmer I think that kind of opening to potentially move into that kind of realm yeah I agree with a lot of what you're saying and one of the comparisons here actually is Jimmy Butler and 
it was interesting a minute ago, you said that even if he's not scoring, uh, this is Josh Jackson we're on about now, even yeah. if he's not scoring on day one, he's still going to contribute. That reminds me a lot of Jimmy Butler at the start. I remember, I remember his rookie I like year. That. I remember his rookie year. He was pretty bad. Obviously, he was only a rookie and he was a, was a very late round pick. It's a slightly different situation, but Butler was still a good defender in that Thibodeau system. Yeah, and, and, and he'd be rebounding. Yeah, good rebounder as well. He's probably a better... I think he was a decent free-throw shooter, which is obviously one difference. But I'm I'm with you that even if Jackson hasn't got that jump shot sorted by, by day one and Halloween or whenever, whenever it is this year, I still think you're right. He's going to be making those plays. So yeah. one, last, one last thing before we move on to Jonathan Isaac. Uh, where have you currently got him going? Uh, it's interesting. I think... The, depending on the kind of how the guards play out and, uh, and again I'm still concerned about the idea of Boston potentially not keeping that number three pick but I could see him going number four number five how about you yeah I've got him a number five on my latest mock. Sacramento Kings I think again he's a guy that I think uh, the Sacramento Kings could desperately use to be honest um, don't know again I don't want to rag on Kings constantly um, I think that they've shown that they're trying to move in a new direction they did a great job getting a couple of lottery picks this year um, I think that he's a guy that Sacramento would love to have he's a guy that they can not necessarily fully build around but he's a guy that sets the tone maybe kind of the culture and the identity of that team as a as a hard-working team that's still going to be able to score uh, potentially run in transition a little bit uh, again plays with high energy so I, th- I think um if you can feel confident in their kind of coaching staff uh, he, he could be a good fit there with Sacramento yeah I think also for I mean, Dave Yeager he's he's obviously not purely defensive but that is really fired to label him I think he's more of a defensive coach than he is an offensive coach and they really outside of Willie Cauley Stein they don't have a lot of great defenders on that roster so they could do with him but we're going to move on from Josh Jackson we're going to move on to a guy that if he doesn't fall to my Timberwolves at number seven I may have to whack open the secret beer stash <laughs> in the garage uh Jonathan Isaac so he, he's come from Florida State I would say is a decent program but it's not a big program in the way that Duke or Kansas is. What obviously Isaac I'd say is the most unknown of the top prospects. So yeah. what do you like about it? What are your favourite things about this guy? I, I think the great thing about Isaac is obviously one, you look at his physicals, a, a guy 6'11 with a 7'1 wingspan, but moves really like a guard at times. And I think that that's something where uh, you have that appeal constantly if you have a guy that's that tall and, and a and that kind of moves that well, but still has that that real length and kind of presence. I think that that's a great thing for him there. And I think uh, I see a lot of comparisons, people talking like your Andre Kirilenko, a guy who's just, he's going to cause people trouble in the lanes um, because he's just got such long arms, and a real kind of long body. Um, I think he makes really nice moves off the ball. I think... Um, for a guy who's potentially play uh, play at the three or play at the four, um, he could be really useful coming in uh, off baseline cuts, uh, catching lobs. He's got quite good hands. I think that that could really bode well for him. Again, not as a number one option necessarily, um, but a guy who he's shown that he does have the ability to spot up as a shooter. And if they do close, play him really tight as that spot up shooter, he makes really good decisions to cut towards the basket. Uh, he's a guy that can finish around the rim when he's open. Um, so I, th- I think that that's the real plus for me is that that kind of, potential offensive upside uh, at the same time as a massive defensive upside so you look at him as a real you talked about him being probably the biggest mystery I think he's the guy where you look at and go he could be a great offensive player he could be a great defensive player um, and I, th- I think it's hu- that's why he's kind of in that top top five top six range at the moment because he's a guy that you look at and go okay 
we don't quite know what he is yet, but if we take a gamble on him, we could be looking at a guy that isn't particularly comparable to many guys in the league. So I, I think that's the real point I like about him is that you can't quite pin him down and can't quite call what his floor is. Yeah, he's certainly definitely got that mystery around him. And one of the main weakness with the guy is the shot creation. And I wouldn't yeah. say it's a weakness. I'd say it's actually more of a question mark because we don't really yeah. know. They, yeah. He wasn't really surrounded by great So They got Dwayne Bacon, who's going to probably go in the second round. But my my point with Isaac is he on some of the teams he's getting mocked, he won't need to create his own shots. So, we'll, yeah. so my Timberwolves, for example, we've got four or five guys. You know, Rubio, Jones, he, you could even put Dumb, Wiggins, Levine, Towns. He won't need to create his own shot in no. a team with those guys. But I'm a bit worried if he goes somewhere, let's say Sacramento, they don't have a lot of shot creation in Sacramento. They've got yeah. Buddy Heald, who I think is purely an off-the-ball guy. So you'd basically, he might be crowbarred into an early role that's maybe a little bit above his head. That's my one concern with the guy. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a really good point because he's a guy that I think is massively dependent on what system he falls into because if he falls into the right system for him, he could be a really useful player. Again, there's not many guys with his physicals that project as a decent 3 and D player. Um, I think he obviously needs to put on some weight, um, my biggest concern for him is just his kind of feel. And I think I've tried to watch as much of him as I can. And I think more often than not, he is a guy that when he is put in the right position and he can take a quick shot and it's quite a clear open shot, or as I said, make those nice baseline cuts, great. But when he's on that ball, he does look like he needs that extra second to take a think. He just hasn't got the best feel. Uh, he's made some decent passes, but he doesn't necessarily think at that NBA speed. And I think that's something that will take time for him to adjust in the NBA. Um, and you, you hear a lot of people talk about it, uh, their turning points in the NBA. We talked about Jimmy Butler earlier. Um, he, he's a guy who said, again, just there was that turning point for him where he thought, right, the game slowed down now. I can start to play at my own pace. And Jonathan Isaac's a guy that I think early on, uh, whoever drafts him will probably be a little bit disappointed. I can imagine he'll probably come out and again, he might be able to hit a three here or there, but I don't think he'll have quite that feel of where exactly should he be going? Uh, what he, should he do when he gets the ball? Should he just pass straight away? Uh, he, he doesn't kind of have that score mentality, that really aggressive, I'm going to go get my bucket, that kind of Josh Jackson um, and Jason Tatum kind of, right, I'm, I need to score now or this is when I should facilitate or maybe I should go spot up for three now. Jonathan Isaac's going to need a great coach to really push him um, and I think that, again, some of those teams in that early era, if he gets asked to do too much, it could really be the hit, the guy that kind of falls off. And I, I think of someone like Hashim Dabit uh, a few years back who was a, a top two pick in the NBA and uh, now is not even in the league anymore. And you look at him there and he's a guy, same kind of things. You look at him and think he's got all those physical tools. He's got a quite skillful guy with decent touch, um, but he needs to be in that position uh, where they, he can really thrive and not ask to do too much. So I'm hoping that he does fall to the Minnesota Timbles. I think that would be a great fit for him. Uh, also a top seven pick that just doesn't have quite that same pressure as a top five pick. Uh, he won't be viewed as a kind of franchise savior. And I think that's, that's the real reason uh, that he would kind of thrive. But yeah, I just, I just hope that for his sake, he falls into that right kind of situation where he's mainly just asked to catch lobs, uh, get rebounds. And again, just kind of move off the ball uh, and hopefully just kind of get the ball of hands off and drive to the rim. I think that, that that's a situation that would suit him nicely. Yeah, it'd be a good fit in our offense because we create a lot of open looks because we've got so many inside threats. And I think that's the kind of situation. Another guy who was asked to do too much, I thought, was Nick Stauskas. He came Definitely. out of Sacramento. were like, yeah, you're going to be our, you know, our main go-to guy. And he was rubbish. And they got traded to Philly. And he's been pretty good. So yeah, I think Isaac, more than any prospect, 
is really dependent on the right situation. So, yes, I would love him to fall to my timbers, although I'm very nervous that the Suns or the Kings are going to nap him. But let's let's hope for my sake that does not yeah. happen. Um, we are going to move on now to OG Ananubi. Now, this is a guy who, before before you know draft season kicked in to say he was kind of seen as one of these three and d guys but now he's getting comparisons to Kawhi leonard i just want to know what you do you think those comparisons are a bit mental or do you can you see where people are coming from i i think they're a bit unfair to be honest and i i, I think it's it's almost a shame for him that he's kind of i think he started to already hit that point where he's hit that next step in his development and i think that's kind of going to harm some of the expectations. I don't know if he can continue on that same trajectory. He showed a lot of improvement uh, throughout the year until his injury. And I think that that's something now where people hold it to him as, oh yeah, he's going to keep rising, keep keep moving forward the way he has. But I think there's a definite ceiling for him. Um, again, defensively, he's a real menace. Uh, again, he's got great physicals. A 7-2 wingspan uh, at 6 for 8 is fantastic. Um, he's going to get into that lane. He's going to get lots of steals. Uh, he can be a real... Um, real pest on the perimeter uh, again he's a guy that people aren't going to want to try and take him off the dribble because they're going to be scared he's just going to rip the ball away and make a highlight reel um, so defensively great great potential and I think he looks fantastic and that's where you kind of get those Kawhi comparisons because I think a lot of people now look at Kawhi and think oh yeah if you, you're a good defense player you just need to learn to shoot and learn to kind of uh, play off the ball and uh, unfortunately it doesn't work like that Kawhi is a unique situation I don't we've not had many Kawhi Leonard situations where a guy that was that raw offensively has turned into one of the top offensive players in the league and uh, I think OG Ananobi projects better as a Trevor Ariza type guy um if he can keep improving his shooting I'm, I'm still not sold on his shooting yet I think that's a huge question mark but if he can improve in his shooting I think a Trevor Ariza type comparison really suits him in my opinion yeah and to be honest like that's that's pretty good. You know, if you're yeah. picking at the bottom of the lottery, I would take Trevor Ariza any day of the yeah, week. Yep, I really definitely. would. My favorite land spot for him is Denver. Cause we, you know, we were speaking a minute ago about how he may not be able to create his own game. He won't need to in Denver because they use, they use more off the ball action than any other team. Yeah. If you watch them, they literally just give it to Jokic at the elbow. Yeah. And the other four guys are basically just sprinting around trying to find some space. And I think that's the best kind of fit for him yeah. from day one. I think he can develop his creation but I think from day one he is going to be that off the ball threat which is why I like yeah. the Denver matchup yeah definitely I also I'd like to see him in Charlotte as well because I, I don't think they've they've taken a risk on a pick for a long time they've drafted safe players now for the last five years the only one that's paid off is Kemba I'd like to see them take a risk as well where where have you got him going I, I think Denver's a really good situation for him. I could see Denver wanting a guy like him. Uh, I think we've got Wilson Chandler and uh, Danilo Gallinari there who have been uh, really great players for them, but I think they're looking to move away from that now. There's been a lot of trade rumours. Um, I think they could move on from them. Uh, OG Anunobi, again, the point guard situation is a little up in the air, but they've got guards who can make plays in Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, uh, Nikola Jokic, who's one of the best playmakers in the league point guard or center or whatever he's one of the best playmakers in the league so putting someone like OG Anunobi there who again he's a guy who plays within himself he if he can consistently hit that three he's a guy that he'll find ways to score buckets um I think that that'd be a great fit fit for him there in Denver yeah certainly I I think he's going to be a project but Denver their offense was really good their defense was far and away the worst in the NBA last year it wasn't yeah. even close either so so I'm with you about this guy um 
comparison here I'm seeing is Noah Vonley. I'm sure teams that are drafting him are hoping that does not happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there'd be a bit of concern if we're projecting OG Anunobi as Noah Vonley. No disrespect to Noah Vonley, but I, I don't even think that OG Anunobi is that raw. I think, um, again, his kind of play style lends it's himself to feeling like he's very raw. Um, I think he's shown, again, progress already offensively. I think he's at a different stage than Noah Vonley was coming into the league. Um, I think... A concern you're going to have is, one, he's all round a little bit of a sloppy player, I think. Um, again, I talked to him, he plays within himself, but uh, he needs to learn to look after the ball a little better. He's a guy that he has a lot of silly turnovers, um, and I think some of those kind of fundamentals, he's going to need to be really drilled into him from day one. And coaches at the NBA level are not going to have time for that, and he, he's going to have to be really thick-skinned to get through that initial stage. Um, so I think that will be definitely a factor to play in. And then, obviously, we're not really looking at OG Anunobi to hit the court until... November, December time. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's not going to be picked higher in the draft, to be honest. Um, I think that kind of concern around a guy that relies on his physicality and relies on that energy. Uh, an ACL tear is a, a tough thing to come back from. We've looked at Derek Rose. It's not that same kind of athlete coming back. So a lot of question marks there. And I think that's going to put a lot of teams off there. Um, I don't know if you if you were in GM, would you be concerned at all about the, the ACL tear? Yeah, I would. It's a very, I mean, even with all the medical knowledge we have now, it's still a tough injury to come back from, especially for for players who, as you said, are reliant on that extra step and athleticism. You know, for more technical and finesse players, it's not it's not a huge a deal. But I think he could lose that extra step. I, I though, I don't think he's going to slip out of the lottery. No, no. Just, I, I I think the end of the lottery is probably uh, a likely position for him. I don't think there's enough talent behind him there to cause him to drop much further no i agree with you completely so we're gonna we're gonna move on to our final wing now it's kind of going in opposites because og ananobi is very raw the next guy josh jackson uh, excuse me justin jackson he's not raw at all he's actually quite pro ready i think but i don't think his ceiling's that high would you agree with that statement Definitely. And I, I'm going to have to really temper myself here. I'm, I'm a UNC fan. Uh, my, my dad was a Tar Heel himself, so it's, uh, it's, it's going to be tough to try and maintain a non-biased view here. But I, I fully agree. I think he's a, he's a guy that is probably one of the more NBA-ready prospects. And uh, I think that at 22, that's not necessarily the biggest endorsement. I think, um, yes, it's great. He's NBA-ready. He's, he's a very smart player. But as you said, I think... Uh, I mentioned this with uh, Frank Nidakina the other night. Um, he, he's a guy that I look at and think he just don't quite know if his athleticism and his handle will really translate to that NBA level. So I think there's a lot of concerns uh, about kind of how much of an impact he can make, but I have no doubt that he's a smart enough player uh, and has enough shooting. His three-point shooting's improved enough that he'll find a role somewhere on an NBA team and could be a great role player for years to come. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I what I like about this guy, he can score in pretty much every single way. You know, he can yeah. come off screen. He could be a cutter. I'm not sure I'd use him as an ISO guy, which is why my favorite landing spot for him is the Charlotte Hornets. So yeah. the Charlotte Hornets ran the least isolation plays next year. If you watch them, something's always happening is the way I'd describe their offense. There's always some kind of off the ball movement, some screen. There's always someone driving to the basket. And I think that's the best landing spot for him because they've already got multiple creators. They've got Nick Batum. They've got um, Kemba Walker. They'll probably go and sign another backup point guard. They've got Zeller, who's a very good passer. And I think he'd go in there and he, I don't think he'd be a star for them, 
But I think, no. at, I think at the same time, I think he'd really improved their offense because they were top 10 in threes attempted. And I think yeah. they were like 19th in percentage, which obviously Justin Jackson can improve from day one. Yeah, I, th- I think it's funny. We, we mentioned Nick Batum and I, Nick Batum is a guy that I actually look at as a not totally different comparison to Justin Jackson. Now you mentioned it, I think... Um, Batum is another guy. He's a very smart player, and his athleticism somewhat holds him back. He's not got quite that burst that a lot of top uh, small forwards and shooting guards in the NBA have. But he's found a role as a guy who he can reliably knock down shots. He comes off screens well and shoots the three. Uh, and again, he's a great passer, great facilitator. One of the few guys to get five by five in the last uh, twenty years. And I think Justin Jackson is a guy that if he, if he went to Charlotte Hornets, he could learn a lot from Batum as a way to kind of mold his game. And uh, I, th- I think he could be that complimentary role player that someone like the Hornets need to, to give them that extra score and punch and to give them that extra kind of creation so yeah, I, I think that would be a, a great fit for him there yes I, I like I like Batum comparison because Batum's also quite he was quite thin when he came to the league yeah and I think and Jackson's it, coming in with that as well yeah and I think that that bulking up will be key to whether or not he can uh, be a NBA level defender as well because I think he moves his feet well enough but he, he needs to really bulk up if he wants to guard NBA threes I was a bit concerned when I was watching the state was rebounding as well yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't. He just seems to kind of. Yeah, he kind of thinks I'm not going to get involved in that. Yeah, he's a bit lackadaisical, I think, and uh, he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of that Kyle Anderson slow mo approach at times. He's he doesn't kind of knuckle down and really fight for those boards. Yeah, I I certainly I certainly agree with you. I just want to ask you one more thing about Justin Jackson and at UNC in general. Is he one of the? Is he one of your favourite players to come out of this program in recent years? <sighs> It's tough. It's tough. I think um, there's there's a lot of guys come out of uh, UNC who I, I, I really like, and I think obviously whenever you win a national championship, that's always going to help your case. Um, uh, he's a guy I really like. He's worked hard for the team. He's been a great team player, uh, and again was had a very productive uh, productive year last year. Um, I, I think probably Harrison Barnes is still topping for me. Uh, Harrison Barnes was a great college player and I think a lot of people look at him in the NBA and think oh he's just a role player there but uh, Harrison Barnes was a great college player so I, th- I think um, Justin Jackson kind of again that similar feel of Harrison Barnes within the UNC fan base and I think uh, definitely up there is one of the more likeable and guys that I really hope does manage to carve out a solid NBA role. Yeah he, he does seem to be very popular on Twitter if you, if you yeah. ever tweet about him you always get a UNC fan who uh favorites it or comments on it or something like that definitely so we're going to finish the wings podcast um we hope you enjoyed it so if we missed out your favorite prospect it's it's not personal we just uh (laughs) we have to unfortunately put a cutoff point somewhere so we'll be releasing another one very soon on forwards and centers but it's goodbye from me and goodbye from jordan see you later cheers well jason is has a chance to be uh, a special player in the NBA. He was that at Duke for one year, and you know, at six eight and the ability to score, and he's learned how to play defense and rebound, and you know he, he's a piece for a lot of really good teams and uh, starting uh, piece. You know he's a kid that can go in and be a starter really anywhere in the in the NBA. And uh, his game, I think, translates to the NBA maybe as well or better than anybody in the draft.